Change is hard. Imagine if that head trash was not there. Who would you be? What if I told you those fears were no longer a problem? What would you do? I'm Stephanie Costello, a mom of three, wife, and avid mountaineer. Beyond all of these, I am, very much like you, an average person trying to navigate this thing we call life. My goal with this podcast is to bring to light the truth about what intimacy really is. You may smile, feel called out, or learn something new. Either way, you will learn you are in control. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing to you Miss Hope who is a wedding officiant, premarital counselor, and offers a wedding yoga practice. She's a scope of educator, a sprinkle of performer, a dash of administrator, and a whole lot of positive nurturing energy. After growing up in New York, Hope moved down south to Atlanta, then hopped over to North California. After a classmate asked her to officiate her wedding, Hope stepped into her true calling. After the next two years, she created a premarital counseling program founded a more perfect union and moved back to her home base of new york hope is a registered new york city wedding officiant an ordained interfaith minister and a certified yoga instructor she has been guiding couples around the world from the yes to the i do since 2009. all righty hello hello and welcome miss hope to the intimacy truths podcast lovely to be here thanks for having me you're very welcome so listeners we have a question for you do you struggle with experiencing change in your relationships and so today we're going to talk about hope and i are going to talk about our serious passion for intimacy and bonding with other humans in a very healthy way so hope tell us how did you get to this realization of wanting to do this work um it was really a calling that I personally didn't know that I had. I mean, currently my practice is as a wedding officiant, a premarital counselor, and a yoga practice for weddings. Uh, I am the niece of a rabbi, uh, and he actually asked me to join seminary right out of high school. Uh, And I was like, what are you talking about? No way. Like, that's not cool. Uh, And... I forgot about that for many years until my parents reminded me once I stepped into what is my calling now. Um, but I didn't realize it at the time. So it took me a, you know, a ways to get where I am. And I really feel that all of the experiences that I've had you know, up to this date really allow me to better do the work that I do. I totally agree. Same here. I didn't, when I was a kiddo, my journey started when I was 13 and, and it's now that I'm in where the shoes that I'm in now with the passion for intimacy and a passion for getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. And it it just evolved from wanting to be a cop to uh, working with people for many years to, okay, this is like the core of what people really are needing in life. And it's the ability to bond with each other. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, for me, the, you know, that process began, you know, in terms of being an officiant was, you know, when a friend of mine asked me to officiate her wedding, but I quickly said, no, I was like, (laughs) why? I don't understand. But it was, 
you know, I, I realized, you know, in terms of that idea of connection and friendship, I knew that I had to step up and be there for her. Yeah. So it's been an exciting shift because uh, that first wedding was a friend. And then my, that's the second wedding I performed, which wound up being two years later, was also a friend. And then I haven't officiated a wedding for a friend since then, 10 years ago. Wow. But, it, but it's allowing myself to be there for people who need me. Yes. And what do you bring as a wedding officiant? Because they're in... Uh, I asked this question because sometimes there's some really spunky, like, I feel like you're the spunky wedding officiant that kind of would be like having a comedian up there so that it's so much less awkward. I never had a wedding. Um, so I always wonder like, what's it like standing there staring at your partner and just staring at each other in the eyes while everyone's looking at you? Like that seems so uncomfortable to me. Yeah, it's really trying to bring yourself out of that. Um, okay. I had a conversation with a, a potentially uh, potential new uh, wedding couple the other day that basically said, well, yeah, what do you do? You just, you know, pronounce us married. So like, why should we care so much? Mm. And it's like, oh, yeah, no. <laughs> like, yes, you know, the potential of awkwardly standing in front of your partner while everyone else stares at you yeah. is like in actuality what happens, but gosh, like it better not feel that way right. or we're all in trouble. Yeah. So it's really being, you know, a curator for a ceremony, being there in the more in the moment to celebrate each of you and then do what you really want me to, to do, which is legally officiate your union. <laughs> yes, exactly. And so tell us about your conversations before that day, right? And when you're getting to the coaching, do you call it coaching? I call it counseling. counseling. But, you know, I, I think it's, it's you know, it, it could be seen either, either way. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I don't know why I, you know, I chose that. It just felt more right to me. Yeah. I just also felt that there was, you know, an understanding, a potential mm. understanding of what it is, you right. know, versus, uh, you know, versus a coach. But, you know, I think over the last few years, coaching has certainly, you know, come up in, you know, in prominence mm. that it may not be as a hard of a word to understand. Yeah. And, um, and so what's your process like when you're talking to them, especially about the intimacy? Is there, uh, there's, is there a stronger sense of how to bond with each other so that when it gets to that moment, you're right, it shouldn't be awkward. And why is it awkward? For me, it's awkward because of how many weddings I've watched where they're just like frozen up there and they like don't know what to do. And, and even one, I remember when I was a kid, my uncle was so nervous to kiss his new wife in front of the whole church. And he like, packed her on the lips and ran away. And it was just like, he didn't know what to do. <laughs> so I just remember those, like, I hope that it, and it's awesome that there's someone such as yourself who doesn't create that or allows that sense of, no, this shouldn't be awkward. This is your moment and you deserve this moment. And then even though, even more so prior to, what is it like getting up to that? Yeah, I mean, it's funny that you mentioned this idea about, you know, spunky and, uh, you know, and a kind of like a comedian, you know, in those moments where there is tension, I usually do uh, lighten things up and maybe mm. crack a joke if, mm. you know, if, if I can. Um, but, you know, I certainly don't think of myself as a comedian. 
you know, yeah. it's, it's not my show. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not up there as the center of attention. I'm, oh. you know, I'm here to guide this couple through a very meaningful moment. Yeah. However, it doesn't have to be solemn. I mean, it certainly can be, especially if you come from a religious tradition and you want it to feel, you know, that momentous and you, you know, you, you know, th there is that for you, but most of my couples come from a more secular tradition or they don't want religion in their ceremony. Mm -hmm. So, you know, why not make it joyous and festive yeah. if, if we can. Right. But going to your question in terms of, uh, of intimacy, um, it's interesting. My practice is pretty separate. So the couples that I oh. officiate, I don't normally counsel and the couples that I counsel I may not officiate, um, even though it's been more so over the last um, year that couples that I've counseled are like, Hope, wait, hold on. You know us <laughs> really well. It would be awesome if you could tell our story, if Aww. you could be there for us on our big day and yeah. officiate the ceremony for us. Um, and, you know, then I'm even more humbled, yeah. you know, than I was at the, at the start. Uh, but in my premarital counseling program, uh, you know, th there's a, a lot of things that we can talk about, and I really allow the couple to let me know what it affects them most. Mm. Um, early in the practice, when we looked at this idea of intimacy, it was really only from the physical oh. side, just because, you know, that's you know, when, when I thought about that, and when you think about things that could trip a couple up, th things that could stand in the way of a strong relationship, usually you hear sex all the time, right? You know, if, if there is a breakdown, you know, it's either money, it's either sex, it's, you know, improper communication or lack of communication. Mm -hmm. um, so I used my couples to you know, teach me a little bit more, you know, as well as, you know, the relationships that, you know, I had yeah. to say, ha, huh, hold on a second. You know, what is this intimacy? And, you know, and how can we improve it from a larger standpoint? You know, especially when couples were like, yeah, you know what, our sex life is great, but I don't necessarily always feel connected to my partner. So it's like, huh, okay, then let's see what that means. So currently in my, in my practice, we start from the emotional side first. And I like to say, if you don't feel emotionally connected to your partner, you're not going to want to take your clothes off and have any kind of physical connection. Mm -hmm. So let's tackle that first. And there also may be times where you can't have you know, that physical intimacy or you're not able to have sex for whatever reason, but what are the things that you can do to make sure that you feel connected to build that intimacy? Yes. I like to so say the couple, oops, sorry. I always do that. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, so it's, it's been, you know, it's been a, a lot of give and take and, you know, I learned just as much from my couples as, as, uh, as they learn from me. Yeah. Same, same as uh, on my end of things too. And I'm, I'll be shifting from coaching to probably advising. I, I prefer the term advising, um, now because it's more of like, here you go and then take this action. Um, uh, but then to speak to the, the intimacy stuff, I like to say, 
okay, intimacy is not just behind closed doors, right? Because that's that's enough of an all-encompassing, but it's not this threatening, oh no, we're saying the word sex kind of like reaction. And then everything that's not behind closed doors is still intimacy. You can have an intimate bond or an intimate experience with your financial advisor in a way that is gonna look different than with your romantic partner, right? And so when we when we bring intimacy to a bigger picture and we just give people the opportunity to look at it a little bit differently, it's less threatening. So then that emotional standpoint, like you were referring to with a partner specifically, it's a, we're able to open up that door just a little bit more in terms of you can have an intimate moment and not need to take your clothes off. So emotionally, if you're not comfortable with just having an intimate moment, there's some work there that can be done. And that's really awesome that you're opening that door early for them so that when they do hit that wall of, um, oh no, like I love my partner, I, I wanna be with them, but I'm not understanding why I have this complete rejection to wanting to go behind closed doors. And that can create like, a, well, you did this, so now I feel this way. It's like, really, what's below that? There's a subconscious story that's running behind there that can impact the decision-making process uh, in a relationship. Yeah, and that's your genius. I usually don't <laughs> dig that deep. So yeah. you know, if couples need to do that, I, <laughs> I will happily send those folks your way. <laughs> Thank you. So what's your next genius after the bridging the emotional gap? What's the next kind of um, conversations you're having around intimacy in your work? Uh, I mean, that that's, you know, pretty much, you know, where we go. It's, it uh, really depends. Okay. It really depends couple to sure. couple yeah. on, on, you know, on what their, on what their needs are. Okay. Um, you know, a lot of times it is giving them permission to be vulnerable. Yes. It's huge. That alone and, is like its own category. <laughs> because it's, you know, it's allowing them to shift their conversation, allowing them to kind of take a deep breath and dig a little deeper. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I've been talking lately this idea about, um, uh, you know, relationships as a, as a glacier. Mm. And that, you know, when we meet somebody, we only see like the tip. We only see the little bit and we only show a little bit. But what gets really exciting is the connection over time that vulnerability that we, you know, and that trust to be able to show a little bit more, to be able to ask for a little bit more. So even just offering that to a couple to get them to a place that they feel a little bit more comfortable go, oh, I didn't even realize I was shielding myself. Or, you know, I didn't realize that I should be more curious and, you know, and dig a little deeper and ask you you know, what's bothering you or, or what your desires are or, you know, how I can help you or how do you need me to be there for you? And those are some of the juicy conversations that get very exciting, very, very exciting to, to witness or at least hear have happened on their own time. Especially when they're there, it's like they're getting ready to make this huge decision um, and they're shifting their life significantly. And now they've got this new sort of honeymoon phase where they're exploring each other in a whole different way, in a way that they hadn't necessarily explored before. Or if they did, they only went a little bit deeper on the iceberg and not as deep as they could 
go. And a lot of the conversations I like to have with people, um, it's interesting. I'm now working, I worked with an individual who was just in the self-exploration program, uh, was more playing in relationships versus, but wanted commitment, just didn't know how to switch from the play to the commitment, was, was worried, had had commitment prior to um, this new experience and felt like they failed at it. So now they're working towards building this commitment with a new person that they met and so they like graduated the self-exploration program everything's great i'm cool and then like within a week wait a minute i need to come back for the relationship stuff now i don't know what to do it was so it was such a cute transition and now the the conversations we're having are around stages of intimacy and types of intimacy and really how to bond with each other outside of the bedroom um, and they've made a commitment to not have any bond in the bedroom until this outside of the bedroom bond for a couple of months, typically three months uh, on average when you meet somebody new, is a great time period to get to know them, get to see if you like them, get to see if it's going to work together, if there's going to be some differences that you might need to work out before going to that extremely intimate experience, that trusting and vulnerable experience. Oftentimes we rip off the band-aid, let the vulnerability happen, and then we regret that vulnerability because of, oh, well, this problem and this problem and this problem. There's always these um, the cycle that couples tend to go through or new, new dating individuals go through, uh, to get back to my main point, which I tend to do, <laughs> my listeners know I go off on tangents, are uh, the, the stages of intimacy, the honeymoon phase, um, the landing phase, or no, the infatuation, the honeymoon phase, the infatuation phase is really the honeymoon phase, yep, and then the landing phase the burying phase where they like, I, I hate this about you, the resurfacing phase of, oh, wait a minute, I actually do love you. And then the love phase, typically the love phase happens around seven years. Um, and the first couple are like six months to a year and then everything else kind of shifts. That's like overall relationship, but then there's all these little changes that happen in a relationship. So the honeymoon phase uh, re arises again when you get married and then when you have kids or when you buy your home, right? All of these really big life changes, the stages of intimacy kind of play, take a role in that time frame, And you're really working with them through that transition uh, and helping them like, you're gonna hit the burying phase again. <laughs> Don't let it destroy, like work on these skills now. Take this, you know, these really important um, basic foundational skills that we can have as humans to help ourselves with getting through life in a way that is polar opposite of what society is teaching us right now. Oh, that's so brilliant. That's so <laughs> brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> um, so yeah, then, I mean, once we really get through this idea of, you know, what emotional intimacy can be, mm. is then we can start to shift. I mean, similarly to what you do, you know, shifting to, you know, what happens in the bedroom, what does you know, the, the physical intimacy look like between the, between the two of you. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, they have the opportunity to share what, you know, whatever they want to. And so, you know, it, I think the question that I tend to ask is, um, you know, do you feel comfortable sharing what you, uh, you know, like and don't like in the bedroom? Mm. And then the question that I get back is, wait, now? Yeah. <laughs> do you want to share, do you want us to share that with you now? Like, yeah. If you would like to, I'm more than happy to hear that. I just want to make sure that each of you feel that you can if you want or if you right. need to. 
or that you can even have the conversation and pause like in the middle of a really important moment you should be able to pause and be like listen I need this to change please and then work to get back into the moment like that is a perfectly okay thing and I think people are just so fearful of pausing that very intimate moment and and sharing their truth and then they have resentment after because of if they were experiencing pain or whatever it might be they feel resentful towards themselves for not speaking up but that resent can come out in uh, other ways towards your partner that then it's like, wait a minute, put the brakes on, like way back when this, this is when we make the decisions, not like <laughs> after. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you guys, it's totally okay to take a pause. It's totally okay to have a sex conversation with your clothes on, or e- even like, you know, uh, you know, a play by play afterwards, you know, let's talk about how we did and, mm. you know, and ways that we could potentially, you know, have a, you know, a more successful or more satisfactory experience for yes and then even too to take it a step further when we do have that conversation it's not an attack on you if you if if there was something you quote unquote did wrong which i don't even like using those words like if there was something that happened that was a decision you made and it and it didn't necessarily go as planned that is okay we are human and actually recently i did a a podcast interview on a book called Flawed. We are flawed and we deserve to love our flaws, right? We are not going to be perfect humans. We're gonna have really great strengths in some areas and terrible strengths in others, like uh, weaknesses in others, I should say, not even terrible, just weaknesses in others. Like I love emotional intelligence all day long. My strength, I could have a conversation, in fact, so much so that people are like, you're too much to handle because I haven't looked at my life that deep kind of thing, right? But I love it. And history, forget it. I can't tell you dates when things happened. I know kind of the gist of it and and where we are now, but I don't, I just can't hold on to dates the way like my husband can. And that's okay. We can still have really good conversations where we're both super satisfied and loving towards each other's uh, talents. Although it did take us some time to get to the burying stage. (laughs) We We got there because we worked for it. We worked towards it. And every day it was like, okay, I'm not going to take this personally. This isn't about me. It's just a struggle they're having and they'll come overcome it and come back around. And just practicing that um, one radical acceptance and being patient is just so special and important that I feel so empowered that somebody else is having this conversation. So absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and the, the last thing that I usually bring up uh, in the intimacy conversation uh, that I do um, is you know, once we're already deep within this, you know, physical intimacy conversation is offering them the idea of having sex every day for a certain number of days, whether it be, you know, a week or two weeks or even, you know, a few days if, you know, they tend to take more breaks than not. And and I love this idea about the, the flaw you know, one thing that I, you know, one of the reasons why I offer, you know, this particular challenge is to maybe play with initiation because usually in terms of couples, they tend, like one of them tends to initiate more than the other. So mm-hmm. this idea of, you know, of being able to play with who, you know, who starts the sexual experience. Um, but the other thing is that if you fail, one night that you have to try again the second night you can't yeah. let it get behind you know you can't get let it get to you to go uh 
yeah, that was horrible. And I'm going to get it in my head. You're going to have to get immediately out of your head, right? Into your heart and say, okay, I'm trying again. And we're going to try it this way. And let's, let's see what happens. And again, if that doesn't work, you know, well, I have another day to try it again. Right. And just kind of looking at it as like this, uh, this, like, this growth experience, growth mindset versus fixed mindset, really. And one of the ways I do that in a little bit lesser of a way is um, 20 second hugs. Uh, that's something that is really challenging for people. Like you want me to stop? And it's like, I'm telling you for 40 seconds of your day, you can take 40 seconds of your day to give somebody in your household, whether it's an animal or the people that you live there, a 20 second hug when you wake up or before you leave the house and when you get home or before you go to bed, preferably when you first see each other, it's an automatic 20 second hugs. And that 20 seconds actually shifts your brain chemistry and you'll notice a difference when you're hugging somebody and you go to hug them and they go to just like quick tap and let go and then you don't let go and then they're like stiff because they don't know what to do at first and then they settle into it within seconds. It's a very interesting chemistry to feel that shift in people and just to give that true like heart to heart connection and the energy that you're shifting in those moments. I had a, a couple integrate that into their life and there it's a little bit longer in 20 seconds because there's like four kids in the house and they're married. Right. So it's usually a cuddle puddle. Um, they call it. <laughs> it's very cute. And then it's, so it takes maybe like two minutes in the beginning of the day or before they go off and when they get home. Um, and that alone has significantly shifted the aura of their family, especially for the young children, because the young children, like you are their safety net. So when you're constantly rejecting them, they like don't know what to do with it. So they're wanting more attention. They're going to fight for that more attention. Whereas if you just open arms right in the beginning, that, that 20 seconds to a minute is just going to satisfy them until the next time they see you, or they're not going to necessarily be bugging you as much. And um, so it's just, it's all around so special just to integrate these little things and basically, again, breaking it down to getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. Like you were talking about when your couples are having to accept that, yep, it didn't work today, but I'm going to try again tomorrow. That is getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, being okay with how the sensation is in your body. Uh, when you're trying to work through change, which is what we initially started to talk about, um, change is hard, right? And, but it's okay. That's lovely. You know, your listeners and your <laughs> watchers, like there's note taken that yeah. could be going on right now. Thank you. Yes. Well, thank you for being here. This is really exciting. I'm super happy to be able to share this premarital um, counseling with people because it's such an important um, stage of life that really needs some good guidance, some non-biased opinion uh, guidance. So thank you for showing us how to make sure we make good, good steps in that vulnerable time. Absolutely. Thank you. This was a, a lovely, lovely conversation.